uh, the capital of Jerusalem had been left in ruins. Uh, when they got to return, there wasn't actually very much to return to. Uh, in fact, they had to hold a lottery uh, to see who would return. And it wasn't that people actually wanted to win, it was a lottery to see who would have to go back and live back in Jerusalem in the city. Uh, and everyone who missed out on the lottery kind of said a quick thank you and congratulations to the people. Glad you're going, not me. It wasn't that spectacular return to. And even after they'd been back in the land for about half a century, things weren't the way they used to. They got a temple, but it was you know, kind of like a lame remake of the original classic. Uh, the food wasn't abundant the way it used to be. And rather than them being a world superpower, which in their history they had been, they were actually just kind of underneath... Uh, a greater authority with puppet rules set up. And so they just got on with their things and they got on with doing things their way. And in fact, they didn't really have time for God. In fact, the majority of the people there had been pretty lukewarm towards God for years and years. And after all that, they say, well, God, how have you loved us? See, their problem was they thought they should have the very best and anything less meant that God wasn't loving them. They felt that God owed them something. Uh, Their indifference to him had made them blind to his love. I want us to be clear this morning, um, their thinking is wrong for all sorts of reasons, but before we write them off, make sure we stand in their shoes. You may have felt that yourself. Like Israel, you might have used that the, the, the personal comfort factor as your barometer for how much God loves you. When things aren't going well, I stop loving you. A while ago, some friends of ours had stopped going to church. It wasn't that they officially left or anything like that. They just, on any given Sunday, weren't there. They felt burnt. They felt like they'd done the hard yards for a number of years. They'd been to difficult churches. They lived in a rougher suburb. Um, their three adults and uh, teenage children had been through some pretty tough times, both, both health-wise and also in, in relationships, and they were disillusioned. Now, I don't think um, these friends would have said to anyone, you know, and certainly not to God, they wouldn't have said, you know, how have you loved me, God? But I think deep down they were thinking it, and by their actions they were showing it. And maybe, just like Israel, you've You've read that God so loved the world passage but you've wondered, what's he done for me lately? Has he really? I want to say God has an answer for us and for Israel. But before you do, take another moment and finish this sentence. I know God loves me because. I know God loves me because. Again, you can write it down if you want, if you find that helpful. It's just... Think for a moment. I know God loves me because. You'll be happy to know I'm not going to get you to call out your answers. You you could have all sorts of reasons written down there. But if Israel were filling it out, I suspect they would put a long list of the good life. That's how they know God loved them. They wanted proof of love, but it's not what they were expecting. So, picking up again in verse 2, part way through. They ask, how have you loved us? 
wasn't Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says. And yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom might say, though we've been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You want proof? God says, look at Esau, Israel. I loved you and I rejected them. Now, proof one is, in part, what we saw in the kids' talk, isn't it? That love is entirely God's choice. It is not a reward. Now, weren't Jacob and Esau brothers, God's saying? The point is, there's nothing between them. They've got the same background. Uh, They were chosen before they were born. In fact, they were twins, so they were born at the same moment. They shared a room even before birth. And God chose them before either of them had the chance to do good or bad. And when things went on, they actually both did bad. But still God chose to love Jacob. Jacob wasn't more deserving than Esau, that's the point. How have I loved you, they asked. I've loved you freely. I've loved you when you didn't deserve it. I committed myself to Jacob and to all his children in a way that you could never earn. And that kind of free choice is the way God always loves his people. I want to say, that kind of love has got to humble us, hasn't it? It it cuts to our pride. We we take it as a basic truth that we should uh, take pride in ourselves. Uh, We have national pride. Uh, There's gay pride, there's pride in the corporation, there's family pride. Uh, They all pop up at different times. And we'd like to think that God loves us just a little bit because of, well, something about us. That somehow we're just a little bit valuable. That the deep in us is something that is, well, you know, God couldn't resist loving, really. We're quite lovable. And yet God says, no, no, my love comes not from within you, but within me. And that's got to humble us. So it's the kind of truth I suspect uh, if you're a Christian, when you first became a Christian, uh, you could hang on to it easily enough. But the danger for us who've been Christians for for a longer time is it's harder and harder to hold on to that. The more years in God's service that you've done, the more at risk you are to vanity, to self-righteousness, to looking down on those who are around you. There's a danger that we move from the the kind of tax collector's prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, to the Pharisee prayer, which is, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those people over there. Uh, it's never, you know, people who are new converts in a church who uh, who whinge and complain, or feel, it's it's those who are the old hands. The love of God, free, undeserved, that's got to humble us, and that's what we've got to keep going back to when we think there's something in us that springs up that makes us lovely, both in the way we relate to God and how we treat others. It's shaped by God's free choice. Uh, The the second proof God points to is is Esau's family. Not just the choice of Jacob and Esau, but what goes on. See, and in it is the truth that being loved means you're spared what you deserve. Uh, See, Esau the hated gets what he deserves. Uh, You might be a little uncomfortable. Um, Often we are with the language of hate. Uh, Hate's a really powerful word, isn't it? Uh, When my children talk about hating... Um, I, I suppose we try and 
shifted into areas where it's not used too lightly or too easily, you know. Declaring hatred of vegetables seems just a touch strong, doesn't it? Certainly if they started saying things about, you know, I hate so-and-so, we'd cringe. And yet there's a time when it's right to hate, isn't it? You know, to, to hate Adolf Hitler, people who orchestrated the plans uh, to, to murder millions of Jewish people, you kind of go, yeah, there's something right in that hatred. There is something so wrong. Uh, and when we hear God declare hatred, rejection of Esau and the Edomites, we're tempted to think, oh, that's unfair. What we actually need to, to realise is that it's entirely fair. Their actions have been unlovable. Uh, as a man, Esau despised God's promises. Uh, one day uh, he was hungry. Uh, before the incident we heard about in the uh, kids' talk, he was hungry, he'd come home uh, and he sold off their God's promises for a bowl of lentil soup. Uh, you know, in, in our terms, he traded friendship with God, perfection of heaven for, for two-minute noodles. Um, as a nation, the Edomites were the same. They flowed on in the same pattern. They were selfish, self-interested people. Um, Israel, the nation, when they were, were released from captivity, they'd, they'd come uh, out of Egypt and they looked for help. And what did Edom do? Their brother nation turned them away. They had no time for them. Uh, in fact, when they started getting overrun, they joined in the pillaging. And things have now gone bad for them. So in verse 3, you saw their lands are wasteland, their people are decimated. And even then they've got the arrogance, oh, we'll, we'll build ourselves back up, they say. You know, there's a really unchristian saying, um, God helps those who help themselves. It's profoundly unchristian. Um, the Edomites had bought into that. They thought, oh, we can rebuild ourselves. We can be powerful again. But verse 4, God says no. He will tear them down. Um, Esau is getting what they deserve. I want to say countries don't succeed or fail. Every nation, even our nation, is raised up and brought down by God. And the Edomites are now down for the count. Why? Because they're getting what they deserve. God's not been harsh. I have loved you, though, Israel, and so you're not getting what you deserve because you actually deserve the same. You're no better. You're no better than they. Now, we're here in Kirillia in 2008. Uh, we're not in Israel in 460 BC. I want to say that's good news and bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. Um, I walk around Kirillia and I see Anglos. Uh, I see Indians. I see Koreans. I see Latin Americans. I see Chinese. I don't see a lot of Jewish people. At least not that I've noticed. Um, the bad news is by birth, we're not naturally loved like Jacob. We're the hated Edomites. We've actually got to side more with them in one sense. Uh, the good news, uh, we live this side of Jesus. Uh, and by trusting in Jesus, we outsiders can actually come in and be grafted in and be one of those chosen people. Now, how do you and I know that God has loved us? It's not going to be by the up and down parts of life where you know, there's hard times and good times. That's not the measure of God's love. Uh, it's because he gave up his son that he, he willingly, freely gave up for people who don't deserve it, his son, so that all nations could have the benefit of his blazing passion for them. So that you and I can have God love us in that way. If you want proof, if you're feeling worried today about 
does God really love me? Don't look to the ups and downs, but look to the, the facts of the cross where he takes, Jesus Christ takes what we deserve so that we can be his treasure possession. When someone says they love you, you can't leave it hanging. You can't just kind of keep going, ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. It needs a response. When, when I asked Anna out, I didn't say, give me an answer straight away, but I, I did need an answer at some point. Once you put your love out there, you, you can't just leave it. And God is the same. Uh, verse 5, there's an expectation of response. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. God has, has reminded them of his love. He's shown it by, by bringing up the issue of Esau. And the right response to love, being loved when you don't deserve it, is praise. It's saying, wow, God's actually really great. Uh, Anna read something uh, to me earlier from a book that she's reading, uh, Effective Management for a New Era by Fredman Malik. Uh, one of the best examples I've seen of praise in a long time in its preface. It goes this way. Uh, readers familiar with the work of Peter F. Drucker will recognise the influence which, through his books and through a few personal encounters, Drucker has exerted on my thinking about management and a number of people have detected a reordering, a further development of Drucker's insight in my book. Greater praise is hardly possible. His contribution to management, in a widely understood sense, cannot be overestimated. Whenever I have the opportunity, in seminars, lectures, in my writing, I have pointed out to managers for years how fruitful it is to read Drucker. How important such advice is. I experience practically every day because far too few have studied him sufficiently. You don't have to be too sharp to work out that Malik thinks a lot of Peter Drucker. Uh, that's praise, isn't it? Talking about how wonderful someone is, how their contribution makes a difference to your life. Every day your life is different because of what you've learnt from them. Letting other people know. Every opportunity, he says, I want to want to point out to people, they've got to study him more. They, you know, not enough people have studied Drucker sufficiently, says Malik. That's praise. Uh, I want to say, when we see the greatness of God in the way that he loves people who don't deserve it, that's the kind of response that it should bring about for us. When the Apostle Paul, later in, in Romans, we read a bit of it from chapter 9, but later by the time he gets to chapter 11, he spent a long time talking about God's love, his free love. He's talked about Israel, he's talked about uh, how other nations are brought in. And he finishes this way. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counsellor? Who's ever given to God that he should repay him? Well, no one. For from him, through him, to him are all things. And so to him be glory forever. Amen. You see, Paul, the, the longer Paul reflects on the love of God, the only conclusion he has is I've got to talk about how great God is. I've got to praise him. Now the right response is to see great is the Lord in the whole world. Now inside I'm sure we nod and we agree. When was the last time though you, you said to a colleague or a friend or your children isn't God great? And talked about his greatness. You know, the way Malik did talk about Drucker. You know, just 
I want to let people know he's really super and other people need to know that. He's changed my life and, you know, you'd benefit too. That kind of thing. Uh, Imagine if we as Christian people um, didn't just sing God's praises when we came together on a Sunday, but each day it just flowed out. How How great is our God. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. And I have proven it because I have chosen people and I have spared them from what they actually deserve. What we've done, we've we've stumbled into that kind of conversation from two and a half thousand years ago, but it poses a question for us too. Will your life be shaped by the way that God has loved? I have loved you, says the Lord. And what would you say? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have lavished your love on people who don't deserve it. Father, we pray that you would keep us uh, humble in our assessment of ourselves and realistic in our assessment of you and how great you are. Uh, Father, we do pray that we would be people this week uh, who speak of your greatness, who remember your greatness, who delight in your greatness in the way that you love uh, Father, we, we yeah, again thank you for uh, World Youth Day and the fact that uh, Sydney's mind is on God at the moment. Uh, we pray that, not that we'd get bogged into conversations about uh, religious organisations, but rather we pray that we would have opportunities to talk to friends around us of your great love and how we might be right with you and how we need to respond to your offer of love. Father, we thank you so much for the example we see of your love in Christ. Uh, And may uh, this morning, uh, this day, this week, we keep reflecting on it and drawing comfort from it. Amen.